0: Wowie, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to remind you to follow the buzzards with the WWE Payback Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, this time coming off an emotional and newsworthy week in the world of professional wrestling with plenty to discuss from WWE on today's show of course as you can tell we will be breaking down the tributes to bray wyatt and terry funk across smackdown and raw this week we'll also discuss everything that happened on those shows and we will wrap up of course with your wwe payback ultimate preview breaking down everything ahead of the first major show since summerslam Predictions, analysis on what we think will happen in WWE storytelling as the company moves into the fall, and of course, our pre-show expectation grades. As we always do, we gotta kick off this show with some reminders. First, that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defies. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage, Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Just like this new review from Hedrick94, a five-star review, says, great wrestling podcast. I've been a wrestling fan since 2008 when I was 14 years old, which makes it 15 years that I've been watching wrestling. So unlike a lot of people who grew up watching wrestling, that wasn't the case for me. When I became a wrestling fan, I did more than just watch what was currently happening. I did a lot of research into wrestling history. Anyway, I recently got into listening to podcasts and I decided to look for a wrestling podcast. And this is one of the first ones I found. I tried it out and like many others, I started listening and stuck around because I enjoy it so much. I love how the hosts break down each and every part of the show, analyze how good and bad they were, even if I disagree. Also, before this, I'd never heard of either of the hosts. Ouch, Rick. Damn, man. But so far, (laughs) I've enjoyed listening to them. Uh, I heard the 30-minute rant on punk, and I'm a big fan of punk, so I probably am biased on the topic. But while I do think punk is guilty of some things, I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people think. I believe punk is one of the best wrestlers and one of the best people in the wrestling business. Anyway, I think it's a great show and I look forward to listening to future episodes. Keep it up. I'm really happy, Chris, that you're not like the producer of this podcast because you could have cut that clip of me saying nice things about Punk because he made me say them and used it against me, but that will not happen right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. However, uh, that was a great review. I really appreciate it, Rick. Thank you so much. Definitely took a turn there at the end with the Punk stuff. Everyone likes what they like. Punk absolutely deserves... A ton of blame for what's happening backstage at AEW. Brawl out was mostly his fault. But while what's happened since is not 100% his fault, others have made decisions that impact the situation. He's still to blame for some of it as well. Anyway, forget all of that. Thank you for giving us a shot. Thank you for listening to the show. You're one of a number of people recently who have reached out and told us, hey, we just started listening to your podcast, didn't necessarily know you guys before, found you on Spotify, found you on Apple Podcasts. Guess what, folks? That's because the five-star ratings and reviews are working. So we're growing our audience. It's thanks to all of you. And Rick, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. You got anything on that, Chris, before we uh, move on?
1: No, mostly that's somebody who hadn't heard of us found the podcast. Yeah. And listened. that's good. That, that, that's the kind of thing we're trying to get. So love it. Appreciate it.
0: We love it. And obviously, welcome to Vintage Chris Vanini uh, to be part of the show already. Also, folks, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. This week in particular, it's especially important to follow us, not only because we'll be dropping our instant analysis episodes for WWE Payback and AEW All Out on Saturday night and Sunday night, respectively, but so you can vote in our pre- and post-show polls for both special events. We post the pre-show poll around when the kickoffs begin for the respective uh, premium live events and pay-per-views, and of course, the post-show poll as soon as they go off the air. And when you listen to our Instant Analysis podcast, we discuss your pre-show expectation grades and your post-show grades as part of our analysis. So again, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, please remember... I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for just five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Please visit buymeacoffee.com slash over and consider signing up. We just got our newest subscriber, Michael K. Joined as an official year-long Getting Overhead. He said, love the show. Love to show support for the fantastic analysis that you all provide. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Michael. We will do the best we can and allow me to acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. All right, Chris, we have a ton to discuss on today's show. Obviously, the very special edition of SmackDown on Friday night. Some very special things that happened Monday night on Raw as well. Of course, your WWE Payback Ultimate Preview on the back half of today's show. There will be timestamps in the episode descriptions. So if for one reason or another, you're listening to this episode much closer to payback and you just wanna hear the ultimate preview, be sure to check that timestamp and move on to the end of the show. But we hope you listen to the entire thing. Starting off today with some WWE headlines. We've got a few of them. Uh, first, Chris, John Cena is gonna be live on SmackDown this Friday. He's also gonna appear at a WWE Superstar Spectacle Show in India. I believe it's on September 8th. And then he's going to be on seven straight SmackDowns starting September 15th. He's also going to be meeting with Make-A-Wish Kids every Friday night before the show, which is obviously awesome. It's one thing for the guy to be on SmackDown, but to you know add that as a tangential reason to go to all these shows, super cool. You'll remember he did this a couple of years ago, the showing up on SmackDown, but he randomly had dark matches instead of TV matches, as he built a feud, I believe it was for SummerSlam. So I don't really expect him to be wrestling every week. It's going to be interesting to see what this is all about, why they are using Cena in this way. You would think if they were going to bring Cena in for two straight months, pretty much, and the goal of doing that was to keep rating strong, they'd put him on Raw against the NFL. They go head to head with Monday Night Football. SmackDown has no competition on Friday nights. Yeah, there's some college football, but it doesn't really eat into SmackDown that much. So I'm a little bit surprised they're doing it that way. Then again, Fox is Fox and maybe WWE. I've told you guys previously, they basically have a deal already done for Raw, a media rights deal. Maybe they wanna keep these SmackDown ratings incredibly strong uh, best they possibly can. This past Friday had the highest rating in three years. So perhaps that's the reason they're bringing Cena in to keep the ratings strong and try to sell it for a big number. I don't know.
1: I assume the reason Cena's coming into SmackDown is because Roman Reigns isn't there. Just straight <laughs> up, maybe yeah. You you need somebody. You need somebody to replace that. He's not on payback. We've got some more B level pay per views coming up until Survivor Series. So, uh, that's my thought um, on that. But the, but the biggest thing I want out of this Cena run, so to speak, is just get him in the ring with new talent. Backstage segments in the ring promos like the Grayson Waller John Cena bit and money in the bank is by far the best thing they've done with Grayson Waller since mm. he called up just get Cena around like the theory thing didn't work sure they tried just get Cena around new talent just so he can give them some rub and stuff like that just I, I think if you've got him use him so we'll see
0: that definitely makes a lot of sense. It's a good point right there. A uh, second headline I wanted to discuss, and we usually don't talk too much merchandise on this show, although we did, of course, have the t-shirt conversation recently. Uh, WWE and NFL announced a legacy title series where 32 championships, uh, belts, I guess, were created for each of the NFL teams. They released images of them. Chris, am I crazy or are these ugly as sin? I would, I mean, the idea of buying like a championship title for my football team, which by the way is the Miami Dolphins, I would never do it unless it was like they won the Super Bowl and there was a Super Bowl version of the WWE title with their logo on it. Maybe then I would do it. But just to buy a regular Miami Dolphins title, number one, I would not do. But number two, I would never buy the ones they created here. These are ugly as shit. I think they're ugly. I also think they're going to sell a ton. They're going to sell a ton of them. I
1: can't believe it. I think they're gonna sell a ton of them. You they think are. about the people who you see at you see at tailgates and I know. have yeah. weird stuff on these those people are gonna buy these things like crazy. I I my first reaction to this was I can't believe it took this long for these two sides to come to an agreement mm-hmm. to do this. Like it's such a layup. Have some NFL championship belts, sell them. I'm sure they'll do this with other sports leagues too. It's an example of some things WWE just kind of didn't do from a business standpoint that Since Nick Khan took over, they can do and make a lot more money. Just very, just some layups and stuff like that. So, I think they'll sell a lot. Also, notably, there is not a Jacksonville Jaguars belt. They have thirty-one. They said they did all the teams, but the Jags belt is not on the shop. There's a link to the Jags belt, but it just redirects to the shop homepage. Somebody at WWE uh, I talked to, and they said that is uh, correct. Apparently, there is no Jags belt. Uh, for, um, I I don't know if that was WWE side or or the the cons and the Jaguars and AEW side, but I just thought that was very funny.
0: Well, you know, it's very interesting because it's a licensing thing. So clearly WWE purchased or made an agreement for the licensing of every NFL team, which would mean they get the chance to do a Jaguars one as well. So I'm curious to find out what exactly went down there. Fanatics, which is where the belts are being sold. They claimed that they just sold out and they were going to restock. Um, so, I'm very curious to see what happens here, but I'm actually sending you a link uh, because you mentioned it'd be cool if other leagues did this. WWE actually already has a deal with Major League Baseball. They have titles for pretty much all of those teams. And I will tell you this right now. They are a thousand times better in most cases, Um, at least the ones that are expensive. The ones that are like four hundred, five hundred dollars are a thousand times better than the NFL ones. I just sent you one for the New York Yankees, which is my favorite baseball team, and it looks great. It is one that, again, I it's still awesome. W- I this st- is incredible. It's, they've it's, even got they've even got the pinstripes on the leather. Yes, the, it, these MLB ones are way better. Yeah, they're way, way, way better. And I still wouldn't buy this. Like maybe if the Yankees won the World Series and they put World Series plates on it, okay, then sure, maybe I'd shell out some money for it. But I'm not going to buy a generic Yankees title. But if I was going to buy one, I would buy this a thousand times over the Miami Dolphins one. It's just This looks like a real world championship. That one looks like shit. The Dolphins one. Agreed. The the NFL ones. So, all right. Anyway, had to talk about that. uh, And hopefully we brought a little bit of levity because we're certainly uh, going to talk about some serious stuff now going into the remainder of the show. Uh, The third headline is that details emerged about the death of Wyndham Rotunda. Uh, We normally don't talk about like TMZ stuff here, but they are citing official police reports uh, in their reporting. Apparently, Wyndham contracted COVID-19 in March and developed a weak lower part of his heart. He was hospitalized last a week ago and had a follow-up appointment with doctors Thursday morning, the day of his death, where he was given an external heart defibrillator. Apparently, he told Jojo that he wanted to go take a nap, but he did not take the defibrillator with him. And I'll spare the details from there, obviously, but she found him dead about an hour later. So There's obviously nothing to say about this other than that it's a tragedy. I do want to take this moment to remind everyone, and I'm not trying to get on a soapbox or anything, but look, COVID-19, it's not only still running rampant, but it's heavy season for it right now, though the peak is in the winter. Point being, get vaccinated if you haven't been. Get boosters in late September, early October if you already have been vaccinated. The shit does not discriminate. I just want everyone to be safe and healthy. And this is a reminder that There can be serious side effects from it.
1: Yeah, just terrible. I know there were kind of reports late last week as to to having a heart attack and stuff, but but some of these specifics, just um, heartbreaking, man. Just, you know, we'll we'll talk more about Bray and everything, but uh, really, really sad and just unfortunate.
0: We are indeed. And of course, the Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk tribute that WWE put on this week is indeed the main event. SmackDown opened with a beautiful 10-bell salute, and fans briefly sang whole world in his hands. The video package for Bray Wyatt was immensely emotional and really hard-hitting. It crossed through his gimmicks, career highlights, showed plenty of his family. The fact that this was edited together in 24, maybe 28 hours, it was insane, given the level of quality and completeness. As we frequently say, WWE's production team is second to none in sports or entertainment. Uh, Braun Strowman, Eric Rowan, who is not signed with WWE, Cody Rhodes, they were the notable talents on stage and up in front. Braun was incredibly emotional, and he really got affected when the fans got involved. When he saw the fireflies and fans started chanting for Bray, he kind of broke. This was the second time in three years, by the way, that Rowan and Cody had to do this, which is just heartbreaking. Uh, All of this was really emotionally draining to watch. So many talents were completely broken. Others were clearly holding back tears. There was a really sweet moment where Santos Escobar put his hand on Rey Mysterio's shoulder and Rey reached back and and grabbed it from him. Uh, There's no reason to go through all the names on stage because there was just so many people there, but it was perfect. It's pretty much the best way I can put it, especially with it ending with a spotlight on the rocking chair right in the center of the stage. I saw some people mention, hey, it would have been kind of cool if the rocking chair was rocking, but I think the fact that it wasn't was the point of the entire thing, so in terms of the opener, I, I don't know that it could have been executed better.
1: Yeah, man, I, I cried during the video.
0: Absolutely. I, I thought they really did a good job with that. And yeah. then
1: t- the visuals and everything. And it, yeah, I just, I kept thinking about Eric Rowan and having to do you know two of his main three stablemates for such a long time. And um, yeah, man, WWE video team, best in the business did a really good job with that. WWE did a really good job with that whole introduction and, and getting a lot of the little things um, So very, very, very sad, um, but they, they did a good job with it.
0: So after the commercial break, we got an entire Terry Funk memorial with tweets and photos. More than they normally do for legends, but less than obviously Bray, given he was an active talent. Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar wore TFBW armbands. Bailey had a Bray with a heart armband. Zelina had his name written on her arm. The Street Profits said whole world in her hands during their entrance Uh, Those were just some of the honorifics. There were three packages of tweets with photos of Wyatt interacting with the superstars who were tweeting about him. There were tweets from celebrities like Vanessa Hudgens. I never thought I would say her name on this show. Uh, There were also multiple video clips with QR codes where you could go and watch those clips in their entirety on YouTube. I was a little surprised we actually didn't get more extended clips on the show just from his famous matches and promos rather than being directed to YouTube, but I guess in a two-hour show it probably would have taken up too much time to do that. And being able to say, Hey, go watch this and then go to commercial. That probably did make a lot of sense to do it that way.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we, we handle these things or WWE handle these things differently now than they used to, you know, after the Eddie stuff and the Benoit stuff before we knew what happened. Um, there was a lot more first person speaking to the camera promos. Um, I think it's a bit hard and maybe hard to ask people to do that. I know Seth obviously put a video out before the show, said he was going to go to the show, but wanted to stay with his family because that's what Bray Wyatt would have told him to do. Um, And yeah, it's just um, I I think they did a good job with it in terms of keeping it going on throughout the show, highlighting all the moments. There were a lot of big Bray Wyatt moments Mm -hmm. and I'm glad they, they sprinkled in them.
0: And we'll talk some more about that in a little bit. Uh, Cody Rhodes then opened Hour 2 for a Terry Funk tribute promo. He told a story about Funk screaming at Dusty Rhodes in an airport, calling him an egg-sucking dog, which is what he always called Dusty. Uh, Cody called him a constant in wrestling for decades. He talked about him giving the rub to an entire company, an entire generation in ECW, and then he threw to an exceptional video package. And I would be remiss because I didn't really mention it at the top of the show, but what we're talking about with Terry Funk and ECW, uh, folks, we did an entire... Uh, tribute episode to Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk on Friday. A special edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Uh, went over an hour. Uh, Jack Crosby, my former co-host on my old podcast, joined Chris and I on that show. I just want to say, you know, when we talk sometimes about like download numbers and listen numbers on the show, it makes us feel good when when the numbers go up, right? And we get more listeners and and all that type of stuff. But I mention it here because I'm just so proud of um, how many people understood the importance of the situation and listened to this show that we did. It was our most listened to um, episode of the podcast that was not like an instant analysis type of show or instant reaction like to news or one of our weekly WWE episodes. That's how many people listen to this. And to me, it was touching. It also told myself, uh, Chris and Jack, and I shared the information with both of them that you know it, it, it meant a lot for us to do it. And clearly it meant something to you guys for the fact that we did it. So I forgot to mention it at the top of the show, but since we were talking about ECW here, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening to it. Got a lot of really kind notes about it. That's not what it's about. Um, We just wanted to honor them. If you did not listen to it, if you missed it in our feed because of, you know, AEW All In or whatever the case, two episodes back, uh, we taped it. And I do hope you give it a chance and listen to it once today's show uh, is over. So I just wanted to say that. Uh, Also, just real quick to wrap up here with uh, the Terry Funk segment, and then Chris, I'll get you in. Um, Cody explained he had the authority to book the next match that was on SmackDown, which was a Terry Funk hardcore match. I thought Cody's tribute was exceptional and quite heartfelt in the moment. He probably could have gone for an hour. Like if you just said, hey, go out and vamp for the rest of the show, talk about Terry Funk. Cody probably could have done that.
1: Yeah, you know, he he's great in these spots and this, he was obviously the right guy to do this. Yeah. Given the roster, because of his family's relationship with with the Funk's and everything, so, um, yeah, that that was good, and yeah, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't around. I had to jump off the podcast with Terry Funk uh, Honoree, but just just obviously a legend. Who, I, I think the biggest thing I gathered from a lot of the tributes about Terry Funk was that he was a guy who would always show up at any like upstart promotion just to like compete and help them. You know, like like his role in the uh, beyond the mat ECW part of that, like just, Mm -hmm. he was a wrestling. He was just, he was wrestling like bigger than WWE. He was everywhere all the time and had a tremendous impact and changed wrestling with what he did with hardcore matches and stuff.
0: Yeah. And and he was a legend before he did the hardcore stuff. The hardcore stuff was just the twilight of his career. Mm -hmm. And it was still incredibly Mm -hmm. notable in its own right. He was a legend just based on that, not counting everything that he did before. So just an, just an incredible career from Terry Funk. So we got the Brawling Brutes against the Street Profits in the Terry Funk Hardcore Match. This was technically, technically, the first Hardcore Match held by WWE in a literal decade since 2013. I think that was Rob Van Dam and Alberto Del Rio. Uh, but this was not a Hardcore Match by any stretch of the imagination or any definition of the word. It was a Texas Tornado no. Match. Uh, Ridge Holland wrapped Butch around his neck, swinging him like a ladder, that was a reference to Terry Funk. I'm not sure why they didn't just use a ladder. Uh, Butch also did a drop toehold in reference to Funk. Montez Ford hit a really cool front roll frog splash, which was not a reference to Funk. Uh, And a Superman tope, same thing. Uh, When he landed on the guys outside, Bobby Lashley came out randomly. After both profits took 10 beats, Ford literally crossed himself, which was really random in the moment. The Brutes did a cool mid-air catch powerbomb. The Profits hit a super assisted blockbuster. Montez followed with a superplex and a frog splash for a broken fall. Butch finally grabbed a table, but ran backwards into Lashley who stared him down. He was pissed off. Ridge hit a combined backdrop DDT into the Profits. Lashley interrupted a table spot with a spear of Butch at ringside. The Profits then hit their new finisher, the revelation through the table. Good finisher and a nice looking finishing sequence. Michael Cole said after the bell that Terry Funk would have been proud of this. I'm sorry. Look, SmackDown was emotional, and obviously we are trying to do a second tribute episode here, or at least a tribute segment here. But Michael Cole, sir, that is bullshit. This was, without question, the least hardcore, hardcore match in the history of professional wrestling. There was literally one weapon used, and it came in the finish. Again, this was basically a Texas Tornado match, And it was basically a tables match because that was the finish. It was great in theory that they named Funk and referenced him a bit and tried to honor him with a match. But why would you do a Funk ladder spot without a ladder? Why would you call it hardcore without making it even the least bit extreme? I wasn't expecting barbed wire, thumbtacks and blood. But how about chairs and kendo sticks and stairs? They're used every single week on television or like a branding iron, obviously not heated up or a bull rope, or a strap, or a stop sign, or a trash can lid. Anything. And really, why didn't Cody just wrestle someone on the show? He wrestled in the dark match. So if you want Cody to honor Terry Funk, just put him against someone on TV. Cody in the ring doing Funk's moves, that would have made more sense. I feel a bit like an asshole here because this was a memorial match. It was. But we're honest on this show. And honestly, Terry Funk himself would have torn this to shreds in a promo. He would have shit all over this. He would have beat the shit out of whoever produced it. I was really disappointed because they didn't have to put themselves in the position to not deliver on a hardcore match. All they had to do was call it a Texas Tornado match or something else in reference to to Terry Funk. So it was just an unforced error is the way I look at it. You had a lot
1: more thoughts on this than I did. I it, it, Obviously, it was not a hardcore match, but I didn't like...
0: Care, I like know. It, it's all, I know. Like, no, just
1: nobody's gonna remember the Terry Funk memorial match on no, SmackDown see, that also had the Bray Wyatt tribute. See,
0: Chris, that's the problem. Because of this, they will remember it for being bad. That's what I'm trying to get at. If they had just done a Texas Tornado match or anything else, then it would have been oh, that was so great that they did the memorial to Terry Funk. But instead, the conversation around it was they called it a hardcore match and it wasn't hardcore. That's what I'm trying to get at.
1: My only, my only real thoughts on the match. I had two notes. Three notes. One, I haven't really said it before, but I love Michael Cole's fight night call at the beginning of their entrance. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's great. It gets me excited. It's it's a complete opposite of the it's boss time that he would do all the time. <laughs> the fight night, I like it. Just I like it. Uh, two, Revelation awesome finisher for the Street Profits. I like it. Keep doing it. Three, the crowd did not react to the clear Terry Funk stuff. No, like, they didn't know like Ridge doing the latter spot. Like there were some clear Terry Funk moments in the crowd. Zero reaction, Yeah, which is understandable because they were probably thinking about Bray Wyatt, you know. So like that, you know, they they had to try to throw some Terry Funk stuff in. But ultimately it was just a match and that's all it was supposed yeah. to be.
0: Well, well not just I that. Didn't yeah. I, I didn't care when it was done. But but not just that, it, it, you know, it's 10,000 people there, but there was a ton of kids and many of the parents just bring the kids to the show. So they don't know Terry Funk. I mean, Terry Funk. That's that's a acquired taste to some degree. That's wrestling history. You know, the guy hasn't been an active wrestler in a long time. So I'll talk about the fact of like them doing tribute moves here, but not doing tribute moves for Bray later. But I wouldn't expect the crowd to like catch the Terry Funk isms. Only reason I know them is because I used to watch tapes back in the day. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have known them either. Uh, La Knight uh, cut a promo before the main event about Bray Wyatt saying putting him through hell was getting him ready for anything that would come next. He got like a third of the crowd to do Fireflies with the lights fully on and thanked Bray. There was a TMZ clip on SmackDown of Miz disrespecting Knight earlier in the show. It was clearly like a setup with Miz. Knight in his promo on SmackDown said he might just be a fad like Miz says, but Miz was never anything. He said Miz's stunt double was a bigger star than him, and his title reign came in the background of The Rock versus John Cena. Knight issued a challenge anytime, anywhere, then he looked into the camera and told Miz, run. Uh, you could tell they tried really hard to make this work as a Bray tribute, and it was massively successful, especially the exclamation point at the end. The way night started in reality, then effortlessly switched to kayfabe, and then at the end, merged the two. It's a chef's kiss. I mean, it may have been the best, like, blurred kayfabe promo since the one Bray cut when he returned, when you remember he was finally Wyndham Rotunda mm-hmm. by himself in the ring. It is a really tough situation, but it was probably Knight's best extended talking segment on the main roster to date. I didn't think it would work when he would started talking, but he knocked it out of the park and he deserves a lot of credit for being able to accomplish that.
1: Yeah, I, I thought a couple things. One, L.A. Knight being in that spot, getting the main event mm-hmm. and getting to cut another Bray tribute promo. Um was just a, a another signature of where they think he is in the company. Um, his promo about Bray, everything he said was great. I was only only thing I was surprised was he didn't say like I had Bray, I was Bray Wyatt's last match, and I'll mm-hmm. always you know be grateful for that or something like that. They they mentioned what they went through. He just didn't say. I looked it up too. No house shows or anything. That was the last match Bray Wyatt had was the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match with LA Knight, and I thought. L.A. Knight, as far as the Miz stuff, I thought L.A. Knight did a really good Miz impression.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: really, really good. His Miz impression, was good. we'll get to the other one in a minute, but really good Miz impression. And it reminded me that he did a good Bray Wyatt impression he did. back during their feud as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was that was good stuff all around. And I really loved that finish. The run part, mm-hmm. really cool. I got goosebumps.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. So Following that was LA Knight against Finn Balor. Obviously, Balor's a raw talent, but they main evented with the idea being that they were two of Bray's signature opponents late in his career. But not only that, they were the first opponents for each of his last two gimmicks. So Knight avoided coup de grace and eventually hit BFT for the win. Nothing really notable happened in the match from a tribute perspective, though Knight did point to the sky after he won. This was actually the best match of Knight's main roster run so far. And going over Balor squeaky clean like that, even if it was like a house show style match and it was a tribute show and it didn't actually matter for Balor, but it was still a really notable development for Knight as his push continues. And they clearly put a lot of trust in Knight throughout this entire double main event segment. That was pretty impressive. Yeah,
1: just straight up beat Finn Balor clean. That was that that probably the biggest singles win of LA Knights, main roster career, WWE career.
0: Oh, definitely main yeah, roster. Definitely main roster. He did yeah, have the so, million dollar championship though in NXT, but
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, that like, that's a stamp win that he just hasn't had in a while. So that was great to see. Um, Another one of those where it's like this, this felt like a tribute match house show type of thing. He wins, but it's like, there's no storyline to it. It's right. no one's going to think anything less of Finn because of it. So just a good way to wrap up, obviously a very difficult show.
0: For sure. Now, after the main event, the lights shut out with The Fiend's intro sounds. Uh, Fireflies filled the arena. Fans chanted, thank you, Bray. Fortunately, it was completely out of sync. But uh, the lantern then showed up in the middle of the ring, surrounded by smoke, and then Smackdown faded off the air. But the lantern did not turn off. This was a really nice touch to bookend the show, and it was the appropriate way to end it. I do wish they left a little bit more cushion at the end, so the tribute could have lasted longer and the chant could have gone on longer. But It was still really great. And not turning off the lantern so Wyatt's light can continue to shine, it was just a really nice touch at the end of the show. Now, obviously, outside of the hardcore match, you know, we're not here to critique a memorial show or tributes. Um, They did a lot of tremendous things on SmackDown. I was surprised fans didn't get more time to sing for him, and there were not more specific references like people doing his moves in matches, wrestlers getting to speak directly into the camera stuff like that. And I was thinking about it, Chris, perhaps one reason is that many of the folks with whom Bray worked were not there or were unable to compete or be there. So like Strowman and Randy Orton, they're both seriously injured. And with Orton being gone so long, it probably didn't make sense for him to go on TV. Luke Harper, Brody Lee obviously is not with us anymore. Who knows where Roman Reigns even is right now, but he's obviously the guy. John Cena is obviously extremely busy and wasn't booked. Uh, both of them coming in on a short turnaround would have probably been very tough. Matt Hardy and John Moxley are in AEW. Alexa Bliss was unable to get a flight. Seth Rollins chose not to go. You mentioned that earlier, based on a conversation he had with Wyatt previously about spending as much time as possible with your family and your children. But both Bliss and Rollins explained their situations in social media videos that I thought they could have cut parts of them and played them on the show. It would have been really emotional and touching. And other videos could have been taped on location as well. I wouldn't really be surprised if WWE releases some type of longer tribute of like talent talking about Bray Wyatt on YouTube or Peacock in the coming weeks. Probably, you know, between taping some of them at SmackDown Raw, maybe Payback and whoever else, they could probably compile something really cool. So I'm not saying that I know that's coming, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Maybe the fact that they, they they did something like that for Brody Lee is why I think that, by the way. So maybe the fact that, you know, so much of the talent that worked with him was not available naturally meant that anything they would have put together from a match standpoint wouldn't have mattered that much. And like I said, there were 10,000 people in that arena, including a ton of kids. WWE had to entertain them as well. The opening video package and those final 60 seconds with the lantern those were extremely well done. WWE did a great job honoring not just one, but two wrestlers while simultaneously giving the fans actual wrestling, even if the matches you know, were not as strong as they could have been from a tribute standpoint. I guess I just expected that I'd be emotional for two hours and instead on Friday, I was really emotional for the opening and for the closing, the bookend moments, which again, were simply excellent.
1: Yeah, and in terms of the fans being able to say more, the, the Louisville crowd, I think, couldn't quite get the thank you, Bray. chant. Yeah, they struggled right at the end. Yeah, it, it was just it was off. Um, Seth Rollins did also wrestle at a house show over the weekend, and there was a clip going around of him saying, like, he hasn't spoken to his therapist yet. And he's kind of just stream of conscious here talking about Bray Wyatt and what he means. Um, WWE then released that clip on Twitter but without the line about a therapist right, as obviously. well. So I, I think some of it is, some of it is obviously everybody's going through stuff right now and, and, um, trying to let people grieve in their own ways. And I'd let, i like, I agree. Like you, they'll probably put something, uh, bigger together.
0: What Rollins said as part of that house show promo, which I think was at the end of the show. So the lights were out. Uh, the entire building was filled with fireflies. And he said, every time I see those, even during his own entrances before Bray's death, he immediately thought of Bray Wyatt, and he said, for the rest of my career, every time I see them, I will think of him. So it would be kind of cool if Rollins has an entrance with the lights out. If people start doing that, maybe that could be um, a tribute. But the tributes continued on Raw Monday night, uh, and in some ways, they were even more touching in certain aspects. Uh, Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins had Wyndham armbands. Becky Lynch, New Day, and Viking Raiders had Bray armbands. Tommaso Ciampa had a TFBY armband, and Drew McIntyre wore a plain black one. Best I could tell, I didn't see any words on it. Uh, The same video package uh, aired for Funk and the same one aired for Wyatt as well. When Bray's was over, the lights were out in the arena with fireflies everywhere and fans chanting, thank you, Bray. Uh, Then his original Wyatt family music played and the rocking chair was again on stage. It really just is a beautiful video package and a beautiful moment coming out of the video package. There were also Wyatt shirts in the background of a Judgment Day segment, Rollins said "Yowie, wowie" to open his promo. He honestly should probably adapt to that now. As long as he's the frickin' character, you know, it kind of fits to some degree. Uh, but not only that, and this one really got me. Uh, Rollins put a fiend side plate on the World Heavyweight Championship, which is not mm. just meaningful because they're friends, uh, but meaningful, of course, because of their title feud for the Universal Title and all that you know transpired there. So he's literally putting him on this new strap that he won. Uh, Becky then held up Bray's armband after her match and told a story about him once Raw went off the air. I saw a video of that online. We tweeted it. We'll talk more about uh, Seth and Becky later in the show when we discuss their individual segments. But it was just great to see so many tributes, and you really have to assume that they're probably going to continue through payback on Saturday. SmackDown, Chris, it almost felt like the funeral, and Raw was the memorial. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, for, for the most part. In addition, obviously, Raw goes off the air with Becky just breaking down in tears uh, over the over the Bray stuff. And she did afterwards speak to the crowd, said Bray once brought her to the side before she had a tables match. And he, he said, do you know how to do a tables match? And she said, I don't know what I'm doing. And he taught her how to set it up, how to use things like at a house show or something like that before a TLC pay-per-view. And um, so she referenced that as, as to the end of her match as well, putting people through a table. Um, so that was a, another good moment as well.
0: It was indeed. We would be remiss to wrap all this up without mentioning WWE on Raw also did a video package for Bob Barker, who died last weekend at age 99. Uh, they showed clips of him guest hosting Raw, and he was indeed the GOAT guest host of Raw, but also obviously a legend doing his actual job with The Prices Right. I'm glad they did this. Were you watching WWE during the guest host series of Raw's? And if so, do you remember Bob Barker in that role?
1: I was not watching it. I was not in the product at that time. So I've seen all the clips and everything, but I didn't see it, uh, didn't see it live. It was,
0: it was a really strange time. I highly suggest it for you or anyone else who was not watching at the time, just YouTube Bob Barker um, Raw or Bob Barker WWE. Watch all of his clips from that Raw. The thing he does with Chris Jericho is absolutely hysterical. It's totally worth your time. I promise you. So we'll wrap up here, of course, with that. But um, a reminder, if you have not already, please go listen to our Friday episode, our tribute to Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk. And of course, we will get on with the rest of this uh, WWE episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. <laughs> We still have an absolute ton to talk about from SmackDown and Raw on today's show as we, of course, preview WWE Payback. So let's get into it with the good, the bad, and the ugly. This might have been the best in-ring episode of Raw this year. Maybe the best in-ring episode of WWE TV this year. There were only five matches on the show. Four of them got at least 12 minutes with three of them over 16 minutes and only one that was short, but that one started during a commercial break and it didn't actually need to be longer. And the best part about it is the matches were good. I'm not saying any of them individually was the best TV match WWE put on this year. And there's probably even been episodes where there were two better matches than anything we got Monday night. But what I'm saying is for a 3-hour show and five total matches, they all banged to different degrees and none of them were letdowns and I thought that was immensely impressive. What's even perhaps better and more impressive than that is every segment that was not a match was direct go-home storytelling for payback or a direct build for Raw next week. And you know what? In retrospect, thinking about it, this might've been the best go-home episode of Triple H's tenure. That's something we were criticizing just a couple of weeks ago. Looking back on Raw, even though most of the segments we're going to talk about are not in this segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I don't think there was a single bad on the entire show, which is very difficult for three hours of wrestling. The Memphis crowd was hot on Monday night. The matches were strong. The outside the ring stuff was strong. I thought the show just absolutely flew by, Chris.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And you're right. It probably was the best go home, maybe because there was less to go home with. But I, I we'd said it for a while, but uh, Becky versus Zoe Stark is a great go-home match mm-hmm. to, to Trish Becky. You know, like th- that was set. And so that was a really good way to go off the air, a hot way to go off the air to build to the next match. And you're right. The other point about long wrestling matches, I noticed that as well when I was watching it. And, and it was enjoyable and it made things feel more important when they get the time.
0: What's interesting also is this was probably the first week of WWE TV without Roman Reigns or Cody Rhodes on one of the two major shows, definitely without Roman Reigns, The Bloodline, or Cody Rhodes on one of the shows, since Cody was out with injury last summer, and Raw was so good that Cody wasn't even missed at all. Beyond that, they started, instead of ended the show with Judgment Day, which had gotten tired and repetitive the last few weeks, they were on the show minimally, but still enough, and we didn't get a tag team main event, but rather the best match of the night saved for the main event. Shaking it up this way... And giving us these long, meaningful matches, it made all the difference as far as I was concerned. And I really did think, Chris, it was proof positive of what I say all the time on this podcast. When you throw in those four-minute, six-minute matches, even if it's a clean finish and, and someone wins, no one really gets over from that. But when you put on 12, 15, 16, 18-minute matches. Both competitors get to shine, and even if you still want to do a disqualification, which they did in one case, it didn't matter because the match was so entertaining that you accomplished your goal anyway. So, I mean, I really hope WWE takes a lesson from Raw on Monday night. I'm sure, you know, SmackDown on Friday and and future episodes will still get some of the short matches, but if you want to do one short match in a show, that's fine. But getting three or four, four or five, six minute matches, it's not entertaining wrestling television. This show was the perfect mix of wrestling, sports entertainment. Obviously, there was the tribute stuff as well. Um, and maybe if the tribute stuff didn't happen, they would have had more time and thrown in a couple of short matches. I don't know. I just thought the pacing of the episode was great. The entertainment was great. Like I said, three hours of Raw Monday night flew by for me.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you kind of said it all there and uh,
0: good show. Good show.
1: And, right. and the biggest point, biggest point, as you said, not ending with a Judgment Day tag team match. <laughs> very refreshing
0: exactly all right let's get into the good the bad and the ugly this is everything that happened across smackdown and raw that does not have to do with wwe payback we will discuss all of that in our wwe payback ultimate preview the last segment of today's show we have the wwe women's championship on the line eo sky against zelina vega damage control and gorilla position led with bailey explaining zelina's two wins over eo were flukes before putting her over heavily Vega hit a great Meteora off the ropes into a hooking cover. EO came back with a springboard missile dropkick, but ate a second spike DDT. She blocked a Code Red and hit a powerbomb. Zelina then hit Code Red, but Eo bounced out of the ring and threw her into the steel steps. EO followed with a Meteora into the corner and over the moonsault to retain the title clean in six plus minutes. Look, for a title match, yes, I would have liked twice as much time. But they got a lot of work in despite the short run time. Zelina looked capable in defeat. Plus, it's possible they cut a few minutes off of this because of all the tributes it was on that SmackDown. Io got her win back over Zelina. Squeaky clean fashion. That was most important. This was good. Yep, good.
1: For everything you said, I don't really have anything else other to say other than just it was what it needed to be and it was pretty good. So, cool.
0: Gunther on Raw stood on the announce table, somewhat putting Chad Gable over for beating him by count out in a championship match, saying because of that, he won nothing. But he did piss him off, getting all of his attention and his focus. Gunther said Gable would get a rematch next week on Raw as the last man he needed to go through to make history. Gable came out talking shit, and the Memphis fans immediately started chanting, whoop that trick before his match. And for those who don't know, that of course, (laughs) because they did it all show. So just to clarify for everyone, number one, Uh, Memphis Grizzlies. They chant that during the Memphis Grizzlies games. I believe it was the same arena. So that's probably the reason they chanted it so frequently during Raw. But that comes from the movie Hustle and Flow, which starred Terrence Howard as a Memphis rapper named DJ who wrote the song Whoop That Trick. So for people who watch NXT and were confused why they were doing that here, That's the reason why they were doing it. I just wanted to clarify that for everyone. So we had Gable against Ludwig Kaiser, a two-segment match with tons of great work both ways, as one would expect. Gable had a moonsault on both guys, with Giovanni Vinci taking a knee to the back of the head. Gable rolled Kaiser into chaos theory. Vinci jumped in the ring to force the disqualification. Otis absolutely destroyed him and got a huge pop before he got run into the post. Then Imperium beat Gable down two-on-one and Gunther returned for a powerbomb, but Gable countered the powerbomb into an ankle lock only to get beat down again, and then he ate a powerbomb to end the entire thing. The crowd loved this with great reactions going both ways. I don't really see the harm in letting Gable get the 1-2-3 with Vinci attacking him immediately after the bell as opposed to doing a disqualification. Why not let him get another big win, another checkmark on his list before ultimately losing to Gunther next week? I guess the idea is to protect Kaiser for all the reasons we've mentioned in prior weeks. They're trying to keep him strong. But a loss here would have been forgotten. It hardly matters, though. Gable again got one over on Gunther afterward. Strong build to next week. That should be a banger of a rematch for the Intercontinental title. This was good. Gable's promo coming out was the first that he had really
1: cut in a while as a face. That wasn't really about making jokes. It was just Mm -hmm. like straight up good guy fighting the bad guy promo and talking about, I beat you. I'm going to beat you again. Classic stuff. And he totally nailed it. So I, I thought that was a great way to start match. Got a lot of time. Very good match. I agree. Kaiser could have taken the loss here. Like he takes a lot of losses, but I think it kind of doesn't matter because whether he wins or loses, you don't remember. Cause he's just, he's just the lackey, you know, he's a good lackey, but he's still just the lackey to, to Gunther. And you figure of all, all the times for him to take a loss, this would be the time to take a loss. You know, give a big moment for Gable going into the match next week. Have him get the pin, then Vinci breaks him up. You do the same thing, just like it's a little thing. But overall, very good stuff. Got excited for it. Surprise, this is on Raw and not payback. Uh, This
0: has to be the main event for next week's Raw, right? It really should be. I mean, this should be the main event. It should get 20 to 25 minutes. It should get three segments next week. It should.
1: Yes, completely. If, if if the whole thing is this is going to be the record intercontinental rain match, you give it time, you give it a spotlight, you give us the entire history. They didn't do that. I said last week, bring Hockey Talk Man back and do something with him.
0: They're they not waddling out seventy whatever year old Honky Tonk Man. I mean, maybe they did.
1: They were in Memphis. They were in
0: Memphis. I don't. Know, where <laughs> Does he Lynch, live there? Like that yeah. would have been the place to do it.
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah. So they. It's, so next week. For this match, give me multiple vignettes throughout the show yeah. of the history of the Intercontinental Championship. It's, it's the longest reigns, its biggest winners, its biggest moments. So then you main event this on the show and make the Intercontinental Championship feel like a huge deal. I liked everything they did with Gunther and Gable, and I like everything between them, but they didn't do a ton to make this feel like the milestone it's supposed to be other than just saying it's going to be a milestone.
0: Right. I agree with you. And I I happen to think personally, that is why they're doing it on Raw instead of the premium live event, WWE Mm -hmm. Payback. Another reason is that show is loaded with Raw matches right now. Very few and thin from the SmackDown side. And you know, Triple H does not like loading up these cards. He likes leaving things for TV. So they put the US title on payback. They're doing the intercontinental title on Raw. You know, is it the most ideal situation? No. But if you're going to do what you're suggesting and promote the history of the title for three hours and do it in the main event or promote it for two hours and do it at the 10 p.m. hour right at the top of that part of the show or do it for an hour and do it right at the top in the 9 p.m. hour, any one of those spots. No. Well, those are higher rated spots. More people will see the match at 9 or 10 p.m. than they will at 10.30. Okay. I don't care how many people watch it. This has to be the main
1: event. If you're
0: (laughs) going to do it, so you have to...
1: You have to treat it like the main event. You I, have to give us a little bit of thought that Gable might beat him. And if it's at the nine o'clock or 10 o'clock start, that ain't happening.
0: Well, the other thing, though, is sometimes they like to end shows on babyface moments. And if Gunther's going to win, they may not want that to be how Raw goes off the air. But I agree with you. If I was booking it, I'd put it in the main event. I'm just saying it needs to be in one of those tentpole spots. And I do believe it needs at least two, but it really should get three segments. This should be a 20 minute match plus. And it should be built over the course of the entire show, like you're saying, to share the history and the importance of the Intercontinental Championship so that when Gunther wins, not just the title gets put over, but Gunther gets put over. Now, here's the math in case anyone is wondering. If Gunther gets past Raw on Monday, he will be at 451 days with the title. That means he would tie the Honky Tonk Man Friday at midnight, and he would set the record Saturday at midnight. In other words... It would actually make sense. I don't think they will do it, but it would theoretically make sense for him to show up on SmackDown, defend the title one last time on the day in which he has tied it, win, and then officially break it going into the next day. I doubt they do that. They'll probably just celebrate it as official the following Monday on Raw. Still, it's crazy. It's gone this long. And Gunther, he's as over as he's ever been. And it's just great to see what they're doing with him. Agree. Moving on, we have Ray Mysterio against Grayson Waller. This was a non-title match, which is why I'm talking about it here. This was the opening match of SmackDown. Ray notably didn't have his title. Also, I've never seen a worse color combination uh, in terms of like gear in the history of professional wrestling. Waller was wearing pink leopard shorts, and Mysterio was wearing maroon, gold, and green. It was disgusting. Anyway, Ray did the no look clothesline and ascent on as a tribute to Wyatt. Austin Theory entered late in the match after Ray got Grayson in the ropes for 619. Mysterio avoided a roll-up, and Santos Escobar attacked Theory, only to get his knee taken out again. Waller then socked Escobar for no reason whatsoever. Mysterio avoided the rolling cutter, hitting 619 and the springboard splash for the win. It was really tough to get invested in this coming out of all the tributes to kick off SmackDown. Don't have much to say about it. It was the expected booking, the right outcome, and it was good.
1: Yeah, it was fine. It was good. I I like this better than just another Grayson Waller effect show. But still, man, he he has been on on the main roster for a while. And I know he was hurt, but he has not had a feud yet. Like, this guy's really talented. Right. The money in the bank thing with John Cena was incredible. Do something with this guy. He's got a Grayson Waller effect with Cody Rhodes at Payback. So we'll see. But that's a cross-promotion. That's a cross-brand interview. So I don't know, man. I really like Grayson Waller, but he ain't doing anything.
0: Yeah, we'll talk more about that in our Ultimate Preview. I'm not a fan of what they're doing with Waller. I mean, he's talented. He's getting responses. Some of the things they're doing with him individually in a vacuum work, but in totality, it just really doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Matt Riddle was backstage at Raw with Drew McIntyre showing off gear concepts for their team. Uh, Drew balked at all of them. Riddle suggested they watch the tag team match that was upcoming from ringside. McIntyre was down for that because he wanted to see the Viking Raiders get beat down. So they sat ringside. New Day Viking Raiders. Uh, Kofi Kingston hit a froggy crossbody on Ivar before getting dominated by the heels. Eric did an awesome full Nelson knee to the back of Xavier Woods' neck. Fans started chanting, "Whoop that trick for the second of 18 times um, You know that happened on the show. Ivar dropped Kofi on the steps, snake Eyes style, then drove him purposefully into Riddle and McIntyre at ringside. So Drew just chucked two desk chairs, first one into the ring, then the other accidentally into Woods' face when he meant to hit Eric. Ivar cannonballed him off the apron and threw Kingston inside where he ate Ragnarok for the heel victory. McIntyre checked on Woods after the bell, but angrily threw the chair back into the ring, seemingly mad at himself for making the mistake. Kingston later came out of the training room saying, They know McIntyre didn't do it on purpose. No harm, no foul. That got Drew motivated to kick some ass next week, saying he didn't even want to tag in, which meant that he pitched Adam Pierce to make it a tornado rules match, which ultimately was announced this was an extremely strong like 18 minute match all four guys looked awesome top to bottom from the first backstage segment to the match and everything that happened after to the last backstage segment this worked extremely well as a pretty strong mid-card tag team feud think about that phrase mid-card tag team feud when the hell have we been able to say that type of stuff on wwe tv consistently this was not just good i thought this was very good
1: Yeah, it was good. Not only mid-card tag team feud, but again, 18 minutes for it. So, like, it was fun from start to finish. Taking notes about the match was fun, and that shot of Drew throwing the chair at Xavier was wild. Yeah, Like, he he nailed that perfectly. I know, since this is an ultimate preview episode, that's probably not the the gif you use for the tweet, but that was a very cool shot there. That's difficult to do. Um, And yeah, it all worked. I don't really know where it's going yet, but like, It's fun. And that's all it needs to be right now. So that was good.
0: Sometimes I struggled with deciding which gift to use when I tweet out the shows, but I, this one was, as soon as I saw it on raw, I knew which one I was using. It's not the desk chair. It's a different one. Uh, And when you guys see it, you'll be like, oh yeah, obviously, of course, that's the one he had to use. So you'll see when we get to that. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa fought Bronson Reed. Ciampa got briefly attacked during his entrance, but completely got up on Reed before the bell rang. Ciampa hit a great air raid crash. That popped the crowd. He took a header into the steel steps but came back with a draping Willow's bell. Then he hit Reed with a crucifix bomb for the one, two, three. The problem was he lost his grip on the pinning combination. His arm, Reed's arm slipped out from uh, between his legs. So like he was folded over but without any pressure on his chest. So Champa just threw a leg over his chest and they got the one, two, three. It was not the most ideal finish because it was pretty much botched but it was a damn good match for the short time that it went. The entire show. I said had long, worthwhile matches. This was the shortest show uh, match, I think the entire week, but it did start during commercial breaks. So it probably went longer than we got on TV. This was definitely good. I forgot if I said that already. Um, But I was a little surprised that Champa won only because the promos he's been cutting recently, especially last week, very clearly were referencing do it yourself, DIY and Johnny Gargano. So you would think that Reed would beat him and beat him down and Gargano would make the save or something similar like that would happen. But he won. So why does he need help if he just beat Bronson Reed, of all people? So I'm a little confused about what they're doing. Maybe they just changed plans and delayed it. But regardless, individually, entertaining.
1: Yeah, it was entertaining. I just didn't really care. And then they botched the finish. So, like, it was fun fine like i enjoyed it for what it was but as soon as it was as soon as it was over and we moved on i didn't think about it again so like that's just kind of it
0: Man, what in the hell was that? Clearly some fiendish things going down today here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But Chris, let's go ahead and move on to our WWE Payback Ultimate Preview. Of course, we are gonna break down everything scheduled for the card along with the lead in the go-home moments to those matches and segments across Raw on Monday night. There was no build uh, for SmackDown. Of course, the SmackDown go-home show is this coming Friday, what we normally do. After the SmackDown Go Home Show, before a premium live event, we post a free episode of bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling on our buymeacoffee.com/slash getting over account. So even if you don't subscribe yet and you just want a little bit of a preview, you can get that free audio from us on Friday. But we are here to break down WWE payback ultimate preview style. Quickly, let's start with the Grayson Waller effect with Cody Rhodes as a guest. You mentioned it. Previously, there was no build to this on SmackDown or Raw, and I highly doubt we're going to get any build to it on SmackDown this coming Friday either. I'm going to say about this, Chris, what I've said about most of these Grayson Waller effect segments, it does not seem necessary at all. I do not want a Cody Rhodes, Grayson Waller feud. They're on different brands. It doesn't even make sense. I don't exactly know what Waller has to interview Cody about. The Waller effect segment has been completely overused. It's seemingly every week on Smackdown and the vast majority of the time where they do it he does not need to be involved. It's not like Miz TV where Miz was instigating things and oftentimes getting involved in them when they did Miz TV. It's this is almost like a way just to get Waller on these shows which I like Grace and Waller, but what's incredible somehow is they're over exposing him without him wrestling or getting involved in feuds. That's a problem. That's like a that's a major issue. Like I I actively Don't want this segment on the show. Now, look, maybe by the time we get the payback and it's over, I'm going to say, wow, that was great. I'm so glad they did it. But coming into the show, I'm really not interested. And I couldn't even tell you or begin to guess what this is going to be about.
1: Right. It's a SmackDown guy and a Raw guy. And look, Roman Reigns isn't on the show. Cody's not wrestling on the show. Like You probably wanted to get Cody on the show in some form, and this was the best way they could do it.
0: Put him in a match. Um, Make a feud on Raw. They have three hours every week. Yeah,
1: so I don't know. And again, big fan of Grayson Waller. think this dude is incredibly talented. They've just done absolutely
0: nothing with him. I don't get
1: it. So
0: we'll see. All right, moving into the actual matches, we have LA Knight against The Miz on Raw. The Miz entered tonight's music doing a full mocking impersonation of him with everything from his strut to his clothes to a fake five o'clock shadow. The massive pop was first overridden by Piped In Booze from production but they quickly turned those off when fans realized who it was and actually booed Miz. The mocking pointed out how yeah is half what and half hell yeah. Miz said anyone can do what Knight does and his name is out of a movie on Cinemax in the 90s. That is true. He was on a roll here. He ended doing the whole pointing thing M-I-Z instead of L-A Knight. Yeah, Uh, no pun intended, but this, Chris, was Awesome. My Lord, Miz tore LA Knight apart. He completely controlled the crowd. This was Miz at his absolute best. It was great.
1: It it, it reminded me of when Miz did his rock impression back when he was main eventing WrestleMania one year. Did a really good job with that and did a really good job here. The only thing is, his LA Knight impression, I think, was it felt more like somebody doing a stone cold impression, which I know was kind of the point with LA Knight, but I do think LA Knight did a better Miz than Miz did LA Knight just in terms of the voices.
0: Yes, agreed. The the
1: the beard that the Miz had for this was added a lot. That really nailed the look, having a beard. So that was nice. Most interesting to me was of all the things he said about LA Knight and Trying to say all these things about catchphrases, it's saying L.A. Knight flubs his lines when he cuts a promo on me. That was that was a little like a, a little bit of a break in the fourth wall, so to speak. And it, but you it know, it's funny. Some real intensity. I'm really into
0: this feud. You know, you know what's funny about that, Chris? Though the what? Miz flubs his lines when he cuts promos. They both do it now. L.A. Knight a little bit more right. frequently, but Miz does it all the time. And he corrects himself and he moves on. So it's not like it was some unique shot at L.A. Knight. It, it, that's pot calling the kettle black, basically.
1: Yeah, and and so just, I'm I'm really into this feud. And while we were recording, I think LA Knight put out a video that was just audio of him on commentary a couple weeks ago with with some pictures. And I was like, I want these guys to keep going. Like, I don't want this to be a one-off type of feud because I've said this before. This is a huge test for LA Knight in a good way. Like Miz saying, yeah, 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 a million times to try to make people sick of it. So it's up to L.A. Knight to keep it fresh, not overdo it, and make sure he doesn't just lean on that. Mm-hmm. It's Everything about this feud is making L.A. Knight better, and that's exactly what it was for. That's why these guys are great to work together. I think this could be a really classic type of feud between these guys if they keep it going. I don't know how far you can take it, because they've already done the impressions and everything now, but, like, I'm really into this, and I I think they're both making each other better. I think they're both motivated to be with each other. And so, yeah, I'm real into this. I thought this was a great go home raw segment, and I want to see how LA Knight
0: responds on SmackDown. What I'm extremely curious about, because we obviously, after we break down the matches, we, of course, give you our our picks and predictions. What I'm really curious about here is whether this is a one-off or they stretch it to Fastlane, which is October 7th, in Indianapolis. So it's about five-ish weeks um, after payback because obviously September's a long month and it's five days later from the 2nd to the 7th. So that's going to be really interesting because if you're going to stretch it, then you need Miz to win here. If you're not going to stretch it and you're going to put LA Knight Mm -hmm. into something else, then obviously LA Knight needs to win. But there's a huge gap um, or, or a decent gap between payback and Fastlane. I don't really know how much more they can go at each other on the mic They've pretty much done everything they need to do. They've been doing this back and forth now for three or four weeks already. Then after Fastlane, just looking ahead and trying to think about what's coming up, you're most likely gonna have WWE Crown Jewel, Blood Money in the Sand in early November, and they've already scheduled Survivor Series for late November in Chicago. So my point is, I think LA Knight definitely needs to be in something else by the time they get into Knight of Champions. I don't know that he needs to be in something else before Fastlane, but with so much talent on the shows and Miz not being a champion, there's really not a good reason that I can see to extend it. So when it comes to a prediction, I am picking LA Knight, but I just wouldn't be surprised if Miz cheats and wins, maybe Maurice comes out, something like that. And that is how they extend it one more month to Fastlane.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to pick LA Knight for that reason. Now I've said many times on here I'm sick of him losing all the big matches, mm-hmm. which has been happening frequently that's he another needs reason he wins he needs to get yeah. big wins yeah i just I just look at the calendar and I'm like there's nothing really big going on for a while here, and if l a Knight's not going to be in say the u s title picture, I could easily just see them continuing this especially because I think it's going well, and the fans are really it into is. it yeah. now it is weird that one of them is on Raw and one of them is on Smackdown but I'm going to say Miz wins just to keep it going.
0: Oh, I thought you just picked LNA. I misunderstood.
1: No, no, no. I I think, I think they do extend it just because I don't know what else there really is to do coming out of this. Roman Reigns isn't on the show. John Cena is going to be there. I don't, maybe you do an LNA John Cena feud. They're both faces. I I, I don't know. Yeah, That'd be interesting. There's just, there's, he's just, he is like, look, he just main evented SmackDown. He is one of the faces of SmackDown right now. And, there's not a lot of other huge Oh
0: shit. You know what Smackdown. I just You know what I just thought about? This is how you utilize this is how you utilize John Cena, okay? And this is how you utilize LA Knight, and Grayson Waller, and The Miz. You do a tag team feud. You have Cena get into it with Waller, Knight and Miz, we've already seen I think it was in the Battle Royal at SummerSlam, Miz and Waller had that moment where they looked at each other and they like Realize they were similar. Yeah. So you do a tag team match. LA Knight gets the John Cena rub. Miz and Waller obviously get to work together. That's fantastic. Four guys who can talk. And you build to a match. Perhaps even at Night of Champions, you could you could do it. That would be a, a match worthy of Night of Champions because of John Cena. And you get everyone involved. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go in that direction. That would be pretty cool. Um, that could be Waller interfering I at the end Max. of this. That That would be something that would work. I'm still picking LA Knight. I just think... He has to get the win. You could have Miz and Waller attack him after the bell and still continue the feud. I think night winning makes the most sense, but there's a lot of different things they could do. If they inject Cena into this, it would make all the sense in the world. Also, you've Cena and Miz. You who know, obviously what? hate each other. Yes. Yes. So I love
1: that idea. I really hope they go with that. And actually, as I've thought about it and talked about it, I'm picking LA Knight to win, but I think the feud continues. But but I think the feud continues. Yeah. I think LA Knight needs a win. He needs he needs a pay-per-view win. He does. He gets it. But you can still keep the feud going.
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Because he's
1: missed, and he'll figure out something because he's really good.
0: For sure. Uh, United States Championship, Rey Mysterio defending against Austin Theory. Probably the quote-unquote worst match on the card, at least in terms of Build or anticipation or or caring about it at all. Now, they're going to do a tag team match on SmackDown for the go home. uh, Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar against Austin Theory and Grayson Waller. So, obviously, that's going to be on the go home show. Maybe the Heels win that. That would make a lot of sense. But, nevertheless, um, going into payback, there's no way that they strapped up Rey Mysterio, having him beat Austin Theory and then just give the title back to Theory does not make a shred of sense. So I have Rey Mysterio retaining the title. I don't think much analysis needs to be done here. I just remain confused about Escobar's role in the entire thing. Maybe he did, for a short period of time, have a legitimate knee injury. I don't think he did. I think it's 100% kayfabe, but I don't see why you have him win a number one contendership, for lack of a better term, tournament, then not be able to compete in the match. Then you have Rey win the title and Escobar doesn't turn heel because obviously he should be pissed and jealous that Mysterio got the title and is having this run because he took his spot because he got injured. So they're, they're missing that final element. You know, it, it's okay if you want to keep him babyface, but maybe Ray, out of the goodness of his heart, as a friend, as a stablemate, says, hey man, you didn't get your title shot. I'm going to give it to you. And then Santos beats him. But there's been none of that. There's been no development. So I'm a little bit frustrated at right. the way the story has been told. But in terms of the match, Mysterio has to retain over theory.
1: Yes, I think so too. This whole thing has been bizarre, as you said. If you were going to have Escobar beat Theory in the big moment to win the title, you would have done that instead of what we assume is a kayfabe injury. So, my pick is Rey Mysterio as well.
0: Let's move to the tag team championship Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn defending against Finn Balor and Damian Priest of Judgment Day. We'll discuss how we got to this, though the match was announced itself before what transpired on Raw. Nevertheless, there was still plenty. Uh, we had Sami Zayn against Priest, this open raw. Commentary pointed out that no one would be ringside from you know either KO to anyone from Judgment Day. Priest dominated early with a flatliner into the announce table. Zayn went on his normal run with a Topekon Hero and Blue Thunderbomb. JD McDonough ran in to grab Sammy's foot and stop a Huluva kick. That allowed Priest to catch him for South of Heaven and the win. JD raised Damien's arm after the bell only to get shoved down hard. KO and Sammy then came back for a stunner and Huluva kick on JD. I don't necessarily love Zayn taking a singles loss here, but Priest needed the win, the interference provided a clean excuse, and JD's involvement in a positive manner actually moved the Judgment Day storyline forward with him. I thought it was a good setup, and thankfully, as we mentioned earlier, it opened the show for a change rather than closed it.
1: Yeah, I like this. It it was a nice little step forward in the story for the Judgment Day where JD McDonough is trying to help them, and he does, and they win. And Priest gets a win that he needed. Sami Zayn can lose. It's fine. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, Everything about this worked. It was interesting that they just opened straight into a match, too. Like Mm -hmm. We didn't start off with a promo or anything to get into this like we had for a long time, so a different kind of start for Raw as well.
0: Uh, Priest and Finn Balor argued backstage about focusing on Judgment Day business, not people who don't matter like McDonough. Finn said JD helped Damian get the win, but he reiterated all he cares about is Judgment Day. Rhea Ripley again stepped in saying she and Dominic Mysterio are the only ones actually handling their business, and people now think they're weak because of Finn and Damian. Ripley demanded they make it right at payback and win when it matters. She said if they don't walk out with gold, all of them, their entire uh, faction, after payback, there's going to be changes. Priest then held up the briefcase, saying, "No problem winning gold, except obviously the briefcase is green." Uh, it's it's great to see Ripley basically emerge as the leader of Judgment Day at this point. She's the one setting the tone, giving the ultimatums. Was this a bit repetitive as an argument? Sure, to some degree. But whereas last week it was spinning the wheels, this had a definitive focus, being the tag team title match and Ripley's ultimatum. Strong backstage segment, putting additional stakes on the match beyond the titles themselves.
1: Yes, I liked it. I liked the line about Dominic in there, too. So this was enjoyable. Are we grading this backstage segment? I don't know.
0: No, we're just. We're just what do you mean? Yeah. Why would we grade it? We're not in the good, bad. And not I right. don't know. Yeah, That's true. Yeah, yeah. Sammy ranted at Judgment Day backstage, saying they could do this one more time and that's it. KO said they got it made official that the title match will be a Steel City street fight so they can end the feud once and for all. Promos were okay here, nothing too special for them, but the stipulation was necessary to add something extra to payback because, as we've mentioned, we've seen this match and versions of this match in six-man multiple times already. It also creates some intriguing booking possibilities for the match. It could protect the faces if WWE ultimately wants to do a title change, or it could excuse a Judgment Day loss if they don't win the match. Basically what I'm saying, it's better to have the stipulation, Chris, than to do the opposite.
1: Sammy says at the beginning of this promo, I'm so tired of this week after week with judgment day. Me too, man. Me too. Mm, (laughs) And it is weird to add this stipulation that it's going to only hurt you. uh, Considering the other,
0: the numbers of people
1: you're fighting have a bunch of partners. Yeah. But whatever, it's fine. Most interesting thing about this to me was it was a locker room promo. Cut directly into the camera, which we do not get very often in WWE. Mm-hmm. Usually it's just a backstage conversation or it's like, like the camera's not there or it's an interview. This was straight up like looking into the camera in the locker room, cutting the promo. Uh, it was different. I think we get that in AEW a lot, but uh, not here. So it just felt different
0: too. Interesting note here as we make our picks and predictions for this match. Uh, Balor is a tag team title away from the Grand Slam in WWE. So that is on the line here as well. Before I give you my actual prediction for the match, I want to present to you, Chris, a crazy scenario straight out of the Attitude Era. And I want to know whether you think this is a good or bad booking idea. So Priest is found laid out injured early in the night at Payback. McDonough steps up and teams with Balor. They cheat and win the tag team titles. But remember, Ripley made the declaration Everyone needs to walk out of payback with gold or changes will come to Judgment Day. So Rollins beats Shinsuke Nakamura, but his back gets destroyed in the main event. He gets attacked by Balor and McDonough. Priest, who we thought was injured, actually comes down healthy, walks down the ramp, cashes in money in the bank, wins the World Heavyweight Championship. Balor, Priest, McDonough, Ripley, and Dominic all walk out of payback with gold. Are you angry or are you happy if that goes down?
1: I am happy. I love all of that. I actually like the JD Finn teaming up and winning the winning the tag title part more than the Priest cashing in part. I don't know if Payback's the place to do it, but uh, I like it. It fits everything. I'm actually really interested to see if that's what happens for the tag match, but uh, I like the idea for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm very curious. And the question is whether Ripley's ultimatum leads them to win or we find out the consequences of that when they lose next Monday, like it dep- they're going to use it for one of those two devices. And I'm not sure which I was really going into this ready to pick a tag team title change um, priest and Balor winning the titles. I just, I don't exactly know if it makes that much sense to do it. Given priest has the money in the bank briefcase, technically he still has months upon months to use it, so there's no rush. And I guess Balor winning the tag team titles in WWE's mind and Triple H's mind might make up for all of the losses that he's taken that have obviously made us extremely angry. They do have the numbers advantage coming in. The stipulation is set up for them to um, be put in that scenario. I was kind of ready to pick KO and Sami Zayn. I was, I was giving you all the reasons why I thought that was the case, and but instead, forget that. I'm gonna pick KO and Sami Zayn. I'm actually changing my mind. I'm going to pick Judgment Day. I think Judgment Day, in some combination, maybe it is McDonald and Balor. Maybe my booking is just crazy enlightened. I doubt that's the case. Uh, but I do think Judgment Day walk out with the tag team championships. And at that point, they finally get split and SmackDown gets its own title.
1: Uh, I like everything you said. I think I, that's what I hope happens. But I'm picking KO and Sammy. This is a very B-level pay-per-view Um, I think you hold that for a bigger spot, maybe even on a raw or something like that. Um, don't know how, but I am picking Sammy and KO.
0: There's four title matches on this show. I'm not saying that because it's a premium live event, one of them has to change hands because we've seen so many WWE premium live events over the last couple of years, especially the last year where nothing changed hands, but there's four title matches on the show. Which title do you think is most likely to change hands? I think it's this one. This is easily the most likely. Okay. At least we're on the same page about that. Let's move on to Becky Lynch against Trish Stratus inside a steel cage on Raw. Lynch and Zoe Stark fought in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Becky said this match was not the easy way out of the feud, but what she felt like she needed to do. Zoe and Trish Stratus later talked some trash, but that was about it. This main event of the show, the promotion for it began with 34 minutes left in Raw. And I was like, holy crap, we're getting a 20, 25 minute match but the bell rang with 17 minutes left in the show. Always frustrating when that happens. Both women immediately grabbed kendo sticks. Trish was ringside. It was basically two-on-one handicap match for the vast majority of what we got here. At one point, uh, Trish threw a chair into the ring and accidentally hit Zoe in the face, which was hysterical, but Stark also played it off really well, being surprised by it. Becky hit a draping leg drop on Zoe. They got face-planted into the stack of chairs. Lynch countered Z360 into a manhandle slam, five minutes into the match, but that was a broken fall. Trish broke it up. Becky chased Trish, then beat the ever loving shit out of her with a kendo stick. That led to her running backstage. Most of the kendo stick shots, by the way, were like directly on her ass. I did think that that's something you have to pay extra for. Uh, Stark hit her seated springboard corkscrew, but missed the chair on Lynch's body. Becky then superplexed Zoe onto the chairs. She went to manhandle slammer into the announce table when Stratus returned to stop it. Trish again stopped manhandle slam and hit Stratus faction on Lynch off this big audio production box, threw a table into the crowd. Then she took Zoe and threw her on top of her and that was a false finish. They finally got on a huge road case deep in the crowd where Stark stopped Lynch from hitting manhandle slam on Stratus but accidentally swung at Becky Becky moves backwards, so she punches Trish, who falls off the case through a table. First, Zoe turns and stares, like, eyes open, mouth open, just, like, stunned at what she did. Then the camera zooms out. We see Becky doing the exact same thing. Lynch then hits manhandle slam on Stark off the other side of the road case through another table really hard onto the floor for the win in 16 minutes. Then Becky held up a Bray armband in the air and started crying while she was sitting on the road case and Raw went off the air. I gotta tell you, the constant interferences and the two-on-one fighting, it was annoying as hell at first. Like, does Becky really have no friends backstage willing to help her? Also annoying was the fact that a Falls Count Anywhere match seemed to take place almost entirely in and around the ring. But out of nowhere, they completely paid off and fixed all of those issues in the final four or five minutes of this match with the finish. Let's check on Sheamus here first. I just want to make sure. What kind of match was this? Was it a banger? It indeed was. Excellent work by all three of them, but especially Becky and Zoe. It's so great to see how Stark clearly belongs on the main roster and continues to work exceptionally well with veterans, especially Lynch. There were so many smart spots in this match. First, you have Trish, throwing like a hundred chairs into the ring, like she's Terry Funk in reference to I think the incident with Public Enemy back in ECW. You can look that up, Funk, Mick Foley, Public Enemy. Then one of those chairs accidentally drills Zoe, which was straight funny. You have the heels avoiding table spots for the entirety of the match, only to get one on Becky late in a false finish. Then you have two more tables getting involved, which again, the heels were constantly avoiding in the ultimate finish. And then part of that, the moment with Becky and Zoe staring at Trish like their two sisters who realized they did something wrong and they were in trouble with their mom. That was legitimately hysterical. Whoever put this together, whoever was the producer and helped them, deserves a lot of credit. It was everything the hardcore match on SmackDown was not. A hell of a main event for Raw. And again, it only had five matches on the show. All of them got plenty of time, but this was the best one. Four stars, A minus. I I gotta tell you, I might go higher than that on a rewatch. I'm gonna watch this again today one of the best parts of the entire feud, if not the best part to this juncture. And look, straight up, beyond the great match, Becky at the end, sitting there crying with the armband. I don't know about you, Chris, it ruined me emotionally. Seeing her like that in the moment, it hit me really hard as Raw went off the air.
1: Yeah, the match itself was awesome. I loved it, it ruled. This is the best Raw main event we've had in a long time. This is exactly why falls count anywhere is my favorite stipulation. Yes. You know, like you can do so many creative things and this working outside the ring here worked a lot better than Roman and Jay at SummerSlam where I was there, but it was extremely quiet and you couldn't see certain things and it just it didn't work. The stuff they did outside the ring like it did here. This was awesome, great. Build, great go-home moment for Trish Becky after this. Everything about this work, this was an absolute banger top to bottom. Everybody in this did a great job. And then, yeah, like we said before, uh, holding up the, the Wyndham armband, crying at the end, just really, really just kind of broke you. And then the clip Becky released today of what she said afterward about Wyndham, helping her learn how to set up tables and to use tables in a match and she finishes the match with tables, which I thought was a really nice touch on that going out. So just absolute terrific job by everybody in here. This ruled, it's going to be hard for Becky Trish Steel Cage to top this.
0: Now, we're going to talk about that in the moment, raising the bar for the Steel Cage match, but since you mentioned it, and you kind of stole my thunder because I already pulled it up, I I was going to play it. Here is what Becky Lynch said, when raw, went off the air. This was, she was sitting on the road case, she held Bray's armband in the air and, and, and then put it down and was crying raw ends. She grabs the mic and she cuts this promo while in the crowd.
2: I, uh, I want to tell you a little story. Um, when I first came up here, it was my first tables match. It was, I think, my first uh, title defense on a pay-per-view. And it was a tables match. And I just won the SmackDown Women's Championship. And I had no idea how to pull out a table. I had no idea how to set a table up. We may make it look like it's easy, but it's not easy. And, uh, and when you're a 125-pound woman, it, it's pretty heavy. And so I had no idea how to do this, and, uh, but nobody even thought about it except Wyndham, except Bray Wyatt. And, uh, And he came up to me and and he said, do you have any idea idea how how to set up a table? I said, no, man, I've got no clue. I don't know how to do a tables match. I don't know what I'm doing. And he said, come with me. And he took me under his arm and he brought me out to the ring and he showed me everything I needed to do. And this was on a live event. And then at the pay-per-view, at TLC, even though he had a match, he was busy. He spent the whole afternoon helping me and showing me, and that is the kind of person that Wyndham was. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that night, I went crashing through the table, but tonight I sent two dopes crashing through the table, and so yeah. this one is for Wyndham. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. You've been awesome. We love you, Wyndham. Get home safe. Uh, Hug the ones that you love. I love you guys. Thank you.
0: I mean, that's so so freaking great, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, she was sitting on the barricade, not uh, in the crowd. I was wrong. But nevertheless, to be able to talk like that, speak like that, at the end of Raw, uh, going through a match like that and clearly being emotional the entire show. Both she and Seth Rollins were, were clearly emotional and closer to uh, Wyndham Rotunda and Bray Wyatt than I think I ever knew, at least. So really, really touching. To go back to the point, Chris, uh, that you mentioned, this significantly raised the bar for the Steel Cage match now because they're going to have to do something that exceeds this. And I don't know that they can, but certainly I hope that they do, and I hope that they try. The first Becky-Trish match was good, and now Stratus gets to fulfill her dream by doing a cage match she never got to do. It may not live up to what we got Monday night, but I do have heightened expectations for Saturday night. And ultimately, if this is the end of Trisha's run, she's done a lot of good and she's certainly elevated Zoe Stark, which was enormous and massive that she was able to accomplish that. But coming out of this match, Becky Lynch needs to win, and I'm pretty sure she will win.
1: The pick is Becky, Your closest feud with Becky being back at, you know, back on top where she should be. That's kind of the point. All this Zoe's in a better spot. Trish has been around a lot longer than people thought doing a great job. Um, And I think ultimately everybody comes out of it better because Becky
0: women's world championship, Rhea Ripley against Raquel Rodriguez on raw Raquel admitted in a promo highlight package that Rhea is the strongest and most dominant woman in WWE except for her. She said she would prevent Ripley from running through the women's division too late, especially after she laid out Liv Morgan. Ripley later answered her in the ring, cutting a promo saying, Rodriguez may be big, strong and tough, but she's not Rhea bloody Ripley. Rodriguez came down and killed her with a followaway slam. Dominic Mysterio then distracted so Rhea could hit a headbutt, but Rodriguez countered, Riptide, and clotheslined the shit out of Ripley to end this segment. This was probably the coolest and most serious that Rodriguez has looked yet on the main roster. There's no reason they could not have presented her this way long ago. But look, better late than never. She's not a great promo, but the package got across her intentions for the match. And then we saw her in the ring looking badass without all the smiling bullshit that we've been forced to see from her. I really hope when she comes out in her entrance for this match that Raquel is not smiling and just doing the back thing. I want her to be serious. They need to make a turn in her character for the better. This wasn't an especially notable build. But it definitely better than I was expected the last couple of weeks. Ultimately, I don't think we need to pause here. Um, Rhea Ripley is going to retain the Women's World Championship. I would be utterly shocked. We talked about the most likely title change being the tag team championship. The least likely title change is Raquel Rodriguez beating Rhea Ripley. So I have Ripley retaining and leaving payback as the Women's World Champion.
1: Ripley retains easily the most interesting, maybe the only interesting thing that they've done in this buildup. The idea that Rhea couldn't get. Raquel up mm-hmm. to slam her and then got clotheslined. Great spot, loved it. I'm sure they'll try it again and maybe that'll be the finish of the match, I assume. But uh, that's about it. So Rhea's the pick, obviously.
0: I think it's the most interesting Ripley Rodriguez head to head thing they've done. But they had those incredible beatdown segments with Ripley and Morgan, where she absolutely destroyed her, and then the one where Candice LeRae and Indy got involved with Raquel and beat the shit out of Ripley. They've done some good stuff in the build up to to this. It just hasn't been Ripley Rodriguez build. Direct, I would say. So yeah, that was good. All right, let's move to what I presume is going to be the main event, the World Heavyweight Championship. Seth Rollins defending against Shinsuke Nakamura. So Rollins opened Hour 3 of Raw in this insanely great money green velour suit with his hair totally frazzled and unkempt. He opened his promo saying, Yowie Wowie, which honestly kind of got me. He called out Nakamura but got no response. So he had the audience sing his song a second time. Nakamura then appeared on the Titantron, doing karate, saying in Japanese, "He does not want to beat Rollins, the champion, but dismantle Rollins, the man." He said he wanted Becky and his daughter to know he's the reason Seth won't be able to walk, either in life or walking his daughter down the aisle at her wedding. Shinsuke promised to destroy his back and put him out of his misery, saying he has no honor, no code, and no future. Rollins was angry uh, that all Nakamura brought was a video package. He said. He wanted to know what happened to the Shinsuke who headlined the Tokyo Dome and lit NXT on fire. Seth said his broken back didn't stand in the way of him winning the title, and it won't stop him from defending the title at payback. So as he was finishing, Nakamura ended up attacking Rollins from behind with a knee to the back of the neck and kicking him in the face, sarcastically bowing to him as the segment ended. What do I always say? The key to go home shows are enhancing the excitement for matches making the viewer believe anything can happen in that upcoming match, even what they least expect. Well, guess what? This accomplished exactly that. Coming out of this segment on Raw and definitely the last two weeks, you had to believe Nakamura at least has a chance of taking down Rollins. For the second straight week, I repeat, this is how Shinsuke should have been utilized on the main roster since his debut, at least when he was a heel. He came across As such a detestable, loathsome piece of shit, hell bent on causing pain and destruction. And best of all, it was completely believable. Like this freaking rocked. Can you imagine if this was the Nakamura we got in the AJ Styles feud and Nakamura actually won the title there? Massive heel. He would have been over like Rover as a heel. Lord. And Rollins was great as well. He was really passionate answering him in that promo. He made that serious turn, then he got attacked. And Nakamura stood tall. You could not have asked for a better go-home build for Rollins Nakamura than what we got in this segment, but really what we got the last two weeks. Great stuff all around. The Seth promo, when he comes out and he's doing the
1: singing my song stuff, I'm just, I don't care. I know. I'm really tired of this version of Seth. And then he turns it to the serious Seth. And I'm like, again, this is what I like. This is what I want. Mm -hmm. This is how you respond to Shinsuke and what he said about you last week. Love it. And then great finished with the attack and everything like that. Only other thing I would say is that I think Shinsuke needs to go back to the theme song with the lyrics because people want to sing it, right. which is the reason they did the lyrics version anyway. And that way it's the easiest way that you can tell if he's a face or a heel. If he's got the lyrics, you, just, you know, he's a heel. If he doesn't and the people are singing, you know, he's a face. It's the same thing what Triple H does or used to do the game when he was a face and he would do King of Kings when he was a bad guy. You know, like just Mm -hmm. a a nice little kind of signifier right there. So I'm really excited for this. The last two weeks, they've put a lot of energy into it. And I almost wish we got just a couple more weeks of stuff like this between these guys.
0: Yeah, you're right. I do wish that this was like it was two weeks longer of a build. So that way Nakamura could have been established a little bit more as a legitimate challenger in the ring. I mean, we know he's a great wrestler, but, you know, his build to being in the main event. Have him win a match. Have him
1: win a match. Have, have Nakamura win a match and attack somebody's back and just like really hurt their back and say, this is what I'm doing to you, Seth. Yeah.
0: Like, like easy right there. Boom. Exactly. Like a couple of those types of things. Then, then you go into this and you're like, holy shit. Like they might have Nakamura beat Rollins. And going into it, like I said a minute ago, I believe more than I ever did before that that's a possibility. I just don't see why you would have Rollins lose to Balor, which was a ready-made story. The seven years and... Everything they could have done, and yes, I know they had plans with Judgment Day to do what they're doing now, but that was a ready-made situation. I don't know why you don't pull the trigger on Balor if you're just going to have him lose to Nakamura here. Once he beat Balor, to me, that meant he's holding the title for a notably longer time, at least until Survivor Series or Night of Champions, perhaps even the Royal Rumble maybe Gunther at some point loses the intercontinental title. He wins the World Heavyweight Championship and takes it into WrestleMania. Maybe that is the WrestleMania match. Rollins, Gunther, Gunther beats him for it at WrestleMania, a big heel establishment victory. There's a lot of different things that they can do. Um, And of course, Damian Priest cashing in as well is another option, both on this show or in another circumstance. But Chris, they're they're telling this back injury story, right? And Priest does have the Money in the Bank briefcase. I know I gave some booking the damn territory earlier, some Attitude Era-style booking. They could possibly do that. You know, KO and Sammy retain the title uh, and then Priest wins here and that further splits Judgment Day because now Balor is jealous that he's World Heavyweight Champion. Nakamura destroys Rollins' back and creates the opening for that to happen. There's a lot of different options. Another option, Nakamura destroys his back but there's no cash in. But now Rollins is selling the back and he sells it for a month or two. And then Priest cashes in at Night of Champions or something. Not, no, I keep calling it Night of Champions. Blood Money in the Sand is what I meant. The last show there, I think, was Night of Champions. So I'm conflating the two. But Crown Jewel is most likely going to be the show in November. My point being, I don't think the title change happens here. And if it does, I think it's a cash. And I don't think it's Nakamura winning. I would love it if Nakamura won the title. I'd pop huge. It would be a true shocking moment. But I don't think you have Rollins lose the title at Payback in Pittsburgh when you could have had him lose the title at SummerSlam on the second or third biggest stage of the year for WWE. So I do have Rollins retaining the title. Agree on all
1: points. I think I actually picked Priest to cash in and win at SummerSlam. I think that was my pick. I think it was. But Rollins wins. I don't think we get a cash in. Maybe we get an attempted cash in. I don't know. But I don't see I don't see Priest's moment coming here at Payback 1 month after SummerSlam. So the pick is Rollins.
0: All right, well, that is our ultimate preview of WWE Payback, Chris, which leads us to our final part of the show where we provide you with our pre-show expectation grades for WWE Payback. As always, when we do grades on the show, I allow you to go first. So what is your expectation going into WWE's first premium live event since SummerSlam? So like for this entire build, I kept thinking about Payback. I'm like, this isn't even a B-level
1: pay-per-view. This is a C-level pay-per-view. And then I pulled up the card and it's only six matches, but like five of them I think are really interesting. Other than probably the US Championship. I probably won't care about that. But I think Rhea versus Raquel will be interesting, even if we know who's gonna win. But you've got a Seth title match, you've got Becky Trish should be good. Really excited for LA Knight Miz, and the tag match should be fun. So like nothing on this is like really all that bad. It is still a B level pay per view, not an mm-hmm. A level pay per view mm-hmm. in terms of just the card. I'm gonna say B plus, just because WWE typically over delivers, especially after a not so great finish to SummerSlam. I think B plus, but I also think B plus is like the ceiling. Like I can't imagine coming out of this thinking like that was an A level type of show. I just I don't think there's enough to make that a possibility.
0: Interesting. I agree and disagree with you. So going back historically, and when I say historically, I just mean the last couple of years, there have been so many B-shows, B-level shows that we've gone into saying, man, this card's not strong, the build's not strong, and then they just blow us out of the water. Really high-quality matches, a couple surprise bookings, and we leave and we're like, wow, that was an A-minus show. And that happened so many freaking times, not just during the pandemic, but coming out of the pandemic as well. And that is pretty much where I sit here. I agree with you that as of like coming out of Raw last week, after we taped this show, it didn't feel like a B-level pay-per-view. It felt like a C-level show. It did. Like just, there wasn't a strong build. It was a majority of Raw matches. Challengers kind of felt in some ways just thrown out there. And it just didn't really feel that important. But I got to tell you, and this is credit to Triple H, it's credit to WWE, and it's credit to what we were talking about earlier in the show. WWE has really struggled under Triple H with their go-home shows. Raw on Monday made every match that it promoted for Payback feel more important than it did going into Raw. And because of that, what to me had been like a C-level premium live event now going in, I think is a firm B-level show. To your point, there's six matches plus the Cody segment. The Cody segment, I don't even care about. I don't know how that could improve the show. So we won't even talk about that. But LA Knight versus The Miz has a chance to be great. I mean, the wrestling's not going to be incredible, but from a storytelling standpoint, them going back and forth, very exciting. Mysterio, in theory, the wrestling may be fine. I'm not overly excited for the match. That's really the only downer for me on the entire card. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, Finn Balor, and Damian Priest, we know that can bang. And if they get creative with the storytelling and the finish, maybe there's a title change that could go over the top Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus the culmination of the feud the match we've been waiting for inside a steel cage Trish is probably going to give it her all you have to imagine it's her last match on this run that she's doing the women's world championship Chris I don't know if you've seen it but Rhea Ripley and Raquel Rodriguez have had numerous matches in NXT that were straight up bangers they work as well together as any two women on this roster, that is going to over-deliver. It's going to exceed people's expectations. And then what I expect to be the main event, Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura, there have been plenty of cases where Rollins matches, whether it's against Balor or another high-quality wrestler, that they, they've just kind of fallen below expectations recently. And maybe this one will as well. It's certainly possible. But Rollins, Nakamura, going in, I'm highly anticipating it. So I agree with you that the pre-show expectation grade should be a B plus. It should not be an A going in because it is still a B-level show, but I give it a B-plus going in because WWE seems to always exceed our expectations. However, the ceiling for this is not a B-plus, it's an A-minus. This could totally deliver, especially with some really good booking and storytelling. So I both agree with you in the expectation grade, but I disagree that it can't exceed that because there's enough on the card and there's enough talent on the card where if the right matches are really good or if enough matches are really good, Then all of a sudden we're talking about this like an A minus show.
1: Yeah, it's possible. I just think like we've had a ridiculous run of WWE shows this year up until a okay SummerSlam, where just there was moment after moment, this after this. We just came off of All In, which I gave an A, and I think you gave a a low A, right on the A minus range. And so like I just think the bar is really high. And I don't, I, I don't, ex, I don't expect to come out of this thinking like, man, this was only a notch below all in. So like, we'll see, maybe they'll, maybe they'll surprise us. Maybe so we'll you can't get really, Nakamura championship or something like that. They could do some things. I just trying to think, will they be able to create enough moments out of this? Um,
0: we'll see. I don't think you can really grade shows that way. Like when we talked about all in, for those who listened to the uh, instant analysis and for those who did not. Um, you know, we did ultimately compare it to SummerSlam, but I didn't grade it compared to SummerSlam. I graded it on its own merits. And then I just pointed out that it was a better show than SummerSlam. But you have to look at each show in its own vacuum on how entertained you were, how good it was. And saying that, just for an example, Payback is a 90 out of 100. Let's make believe that's the grade I give it. Um and All In was a 94. That doesn't they're, they're totally different shows. One had 11 matches in front of a huge crowd, where perhaps the crowd and the environment Um, boosted it up, whereas this one's going to be in front of a much smaller crowd, obviously, and there's only six matches on the card, but maybe five of the matches are straight-up bangers. That can be an A-minus show. Just like a WrestleMania can be great or a WrestleMania can be terrible, a B-level show can be great or a B-level show can be terrible. So, I I mean, when I grade them, I grade them on their own merits. I don't compare. If we did compare, then it would be very difficult because think about how many shows uh, over the last couple of years we've given given B-plus or A-minus, where if you actually compared them to each other... You would say, well, maybe this one was actually better than that one. It's very difficult to do that. No, right. But it shows that we're a week apart.
1: Not to mention, there's going to be another AEW pay-per-view this weekend as well. I think it's natural to compare the three of them when they're all taking place at the same time.
0: Just because I'm not saying you can't compare your
1: feelings from that time. I'm
0: not saying you can't compare them. What I'm saying is I wouldn't grade one based on the other is what I'm saying. I think it's fair to compare and say, Hey, you know, we did, we, I mean, we did it all in in SummerSlam. We, we directly compared them, but both of those were stadium shows and one disappointed where another exceeded expectations. What I'm saying is I'm going to great when we do our uh, instant analysis, just like every instant analysis, I'm going to grade payback for what payback was. And if it was really entertaining to me, then it possibly could get an A minus or, I mean, or better. I doubt it'll get better. Um, but it could get that. I don't think the ceiling is B plus just because it's a B level show. I don't think that's fair. Maybe, I think it's a Grayson Waller, Cody Rhodes segment that'll put it over the top. <laughs> if they do something with that, perhaps we will, uh, or you maybe, will change your tune. But nevertheless, folks, that was our WWE Payback Ultimate Preview, and I appreciate that all of you were here for it. I would be remiss if I did not point out, once again, before we get out of the show, that we did have an AEW all-in instant analysis from Sunday that you should definitely listen to. And if you don't do AEW or you do... want to hear our tribute episode for Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk, we're very proud of it. Myself, Chris, and Jack Crosby, who joined us for that show. It is in our podcast feed two episodes back. Please be sure to listen to that as well. In terms of what's coming up for the rest of the week here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we will be back Wednesday with a special NXT episode. We're doing it on its own because on Thursday, we're going to have your AEW All Out Ultimate preview. We will not have any live shows on Twitter spaces this week. It is week one of the college football season. Vintage Chris Vanini and your boy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein both work in that sport and we will be extremely busy. So we're not going to be able to do the live show. However, Saturday night, as soon as WWE payback goes off the air, we will have your instant analysis episode. And again, Sunday night, as soon as AEW All Out goes off the air, we will have your instant analysis episode. So another five episode week coming off our last five-episode week, 10 episodes, two weeks, right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And if you perhaps want to say thank you to us, there's a couple things you can do. First, you can remember that this podcast is all about the five. So please head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. If you leave a five-star written review, number one, we'll appreciate it. But we will show that appreciation by reading it live right here on the show. You can also remember, I happen to love the number five. And for five bucks a month or fifty dollars for the entire year, you can become an official. Getting overhead, just visit buymeacoffee.com/slash/gettingover. Sign up, you will get bonus audio, you will get news posts, and your. Financial contributions will directly support the Silver King, Vintage, and the continuation of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Lastly, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, and highlights, but also so you can vote in our pre- and post-show polls this week around WWE Payback and AEW All Out. Thanks once again to Vintage Chris Vanini for joining your boy, the Silver King adam silverstein right here on the getting over wrestling podcast it has been an emotional week that we have absolutely loved to bring this show to you for chris this is adam signing off and leaving you with just three final words Follow the buzzers Shatter.
2: this is such good shit